So, if you've ever read through the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not one of those books that you read through and you're just like, yeah, like this is, this is exciting, right? As you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you read a lot of vanity, vanity, all is vanity, or basically that all is meaningless, as some translations would say it. And so, as you kind of think about that, what I want us to start to mold our mindsets toward, the kind of the discipline, the spiritual discipline that I want us to talk about this morning, that I believe that somebody like Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, and most of Proverbs, is that writing about and, and kind of focusing in on this idea of moderation. Okay, this idea of moderation. And maybe a better way to think about moderation or a better way to kind of approach this idea that maybe we talk about more often or that comes out of our mouth more often is self-control. Is self-control. And so, first off, why is Solomon even able to or worthy to write in this regard about this as he spends most of Ecclesiastes speaking to this point directly about what we do, what we gain, what we have, what we strive after? You know, Solomon was the son of David. You know, the, the, uh, uh, and, and the, uh, Israel's first uh, God, uh, God's first appointed king after Saul. And um, you know, and, and the, the king at which that the lineage of Jesus would come from. And so when, when Solomon came into rule, you know, God told him and God asked him, you know, what is one thing that you want? What, what is one thing that I can give you? And Solomon, in his humility, he said, well, I can't lead well. I don't know what I'm doing. Give me wisdom. Give me all the wisdom that I can have, that I can handle. And so God blesses him. You know, Solomon started off his life in a very great place, you know, asking for wisdom, seeking after God and his kingship, wanting to, to build the temple, all these things. And so God blesses him and Solomon begins this journey. And then as he takes this wisdom and he takes all that he knows and he begins to pursue other things, he begins to be led into idolatry. He begins to be led into sin. And then because of Solomon's experience, having all the wisdom in the world that the world that God could give him in the world that he lived in, Solomon used that and he actively pursued all that the world had to offer him. I mean, he pursued after all the world had to offer him. He was not only the richest in wisdom, but he was also the richest in the world and things and what he could gather. And so he pursued all these things to the point at which he had seven, uh, a thousand wives and concubines combined. He had all that he could have, all that he could know. And then he writes the book of Ecclesiastes specifically, speaking to us today from that experience. And so when we think about self-control and moderation... I don't think there's any better place for us to kind of settle into than the writings of the wisest man in the world who experienced the most that this world could ever have to offer us. The most riches, the most women, the most experience of life that you could, pop, the, the most YOLO life that any of us could potentially live. He lived it. And then he writes to us today to speak to moderation. Because all of these things, they led him to idol worship. They led him to depending on other things other than God because he indulged himself in everything. Because he wanted, he just sought after everything that he could get his hands on. There was no moderation. It was as much as he could gain. And then he writes to us today and we read in our text in Ecclesiastes 2 where he says, meaningless. He says, meaningless. And so when we talk about moderation, we're talking about the avoidance of excess or extremes. 
You know, and I really believe that all the spiritual disciplines we've studied up until this point, as we talk about prayer, as we talk about giving, as we talk about worship, as we talk about studying God's Word, as we talk about serving others, all of these things are meant to help us moderate the things and control the things that we're allowing into our lives and the things that we're doing. Because all of these things we do, they add into, they kind of fill in the gaps that help us to step into spaces of moderation in our lives. Because by nature, if we're honest with ourselves, we are not great moderators. We, we are not always great at self-control. Whether it comes to our eating, whether it comes to our, our emotions, whether it comes to our actions, whatever it might be, that by nature we are not great at moderating. We always need something to help us within the context of that. And so, you know, for a lot of us, you know, approaching life, it can be a doors always open kind of way. And that's for, for Solomon, having all this wisdom, having all this power, he lived his life and experienced life in a doors always open kind of way. But what God is calling us into and what Solomon will continue to teach us is he calls us to be less like a doors always open kind of way, but more like a spiritual bouncer. Right? That's standing at the door and saying, yes, this can come in and no, this can't. And yes, you can have some of this, but not too much. Where we have, and this is something that will not come natural to us. It has to be a self. It's a, something that we participate in. It's not only on ourselves, as we'll move forward and kind of see, but it is something that we actively participate in. Because the reality is, this will always be an uphill battle. Because culture tells us to take in as much as you want, as much as your heart desires, or do whatever you want. If your heart wants it, or your heart desires it, your emotions uh, want it, then give it, then take it, then eat it, then do it, then say it. Whatever it is that you want indulge in it. That's what culture tells us. And so for us Christians, when we try to step into spaces of spiritual discipline, when we talk about moderation in the world, it's not going to be the natural flow of life. The natural flow of the culture tells us to do what you want, indulge. God calls us to moderate. Why? Not to rob us, but to expose us to something greater. Not to rob us of an experience, but to point us to an even better experience of life. You know, God calls us to a standard of self-control and active discipline. You know, and Solomon even writes in Proverbs 25, 28, he says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You know, and when I think about that, when I think about this idea of like a city being overrun, you know, it's only a matter of time when a city becomes overrun that the enemy that has overtaken it begins to control it. Right? That they, what do they do? They take down the flag that was previously there and they hang up their flag. That this is our space now. And so, you know, this is kind of the idea that I want to enter into it with and hopefully wrap up with. But it's this idea, if I could sum everything up into, the, into something, it would be this. That moderation is our protection from idolatry. And that the things that aren't moderated begin to modify us. That the things that aren't moderated by us begin to modify us. They begin to change us. They begin to take us over. They begin to dictate the way we live, the way we act, the way we respond, the way we interact with each other, the way we even approach God. These things can modify us. And so what I really believe, two things I want us to see this morning that I believe we can learn from Solomon and his teachings and just from the narrative of the Bible, what God showed us about self-control and, and moderation are these two things. First, the danger of indulgence, and second, the direction for our indulgence. And so, 
when we think about this idea of the danger of our indulgence, we can see here from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 what is the danger of indulging in whatever we can get and what Solomon is trying to draw our attention to. He says here in verse 10, he says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He says, I kept my heart from no pleasure. He said, So whatever I saw and whatever I thought I wanted, whatever I thought I needed, I didn't keep it from myself. I mean, I mean, and... I mean, obviously, with a thousand women in his life, it, it, women and, and riches and food and drink and all these things. He says, if I saw it and I thought I wanted it, I didn't, I didn't keep it from myself. I did not keep myself from any pleasure that he says. He says, I did not keep myself from any of it. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. He says, so my heart found pleasure in all my toil, or all my work, as some translations would say. So he says he was finding pleasure in the process. He was finding pleasure in kind of the chase. And isn't that the thing when we think about these things, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's work, whether it's, you know, for, uh, you know, athletics, whether it's hobbies, whatever it might be. The thing that we find so satisfying in the midst of life, in the midst of our jobs, in the midst of whatever it is, is the chase, right? Like we love the work of it. We love the busyness of it. We love to be constantly trying to grab a hold of things. There's just something about that. I think for a lot of us, it makes us feel like we're more valuable. It makes us feel like we're more important or something when we're actively chasing after these things around us constantly. And so he says here, he says that I found pleasure in my work, that just in the process of it, I found pleasure. But then he says this, he says, and this was my reward for all my toil. Did you catch that? He says, he says that the reward for all my toil was just my toil. That the reward for my work was just my work. I mean, and he even goes on later and he says that I, I actively considered all that my hands had done in the work that I had experienced or the toil I experienced in doing it. And behold, all was meaningless. I mean, this is the richest, wealthiest, uh, you know, man in the world that's ever existed. And he says, I thought about everything. I gave myself everything that I thought I wanted. And I considered all that my hands I had done, the work that he had done, that by most regards would seem very successful, very accomplished. And he would evaluate all those things he says, behold, it was meaningless. It was vanity. He says, so meaningless that it was like striving after wind. That it's like striving after something that I could never in a million years grasp. He says, There's, I can't catch that. I, can't, I can see where it's going. I can see where it's moving. I can see the, the product of its presence. But I could never truly get it. I can never truly grasp a hold of it. So, so he says, with indulging in everything that was put before him, he couldn't grab it. And then he said that there, in this world, in this life, he says there was nothing to gain. There was nothing to gain. He tells us that there's no amount of indulgence in the things of the world that we will ever find the gain that we truly seek after. So he says when we consider our life, when we consider our wealth, when we consider our stuff, when we consider all these things. You know, a lot of Christian life is so much less about what we can or can't do, and it's more about what we should or shouldn't do. You know, it, it's so much less than a checklist of do's and don'ts, and it's so much more about things and amounts of things that we allow into our lives. I mean, to 
eat is not wrong within itself, but to eat too much becomes sinful, right? To drink in and of itself isn't wrong, but to drink too much in itself is sinful. It's because of the product of these things, you know, and, and like we said, it's it, when something is not moderated, it becomes idolatry to us. When we don't have moderation or it's, it, it's not protecting us from this idolatry and it begins to modify us where we become dependent on the food. We become dependent on the drink. We become dependent on our work life to make us feel valuable. We become dependent on somebody or something that we're doing to make us feel important because we're just indulging in it as much as we can. And so now we've become defined by this thing or it's where we find comfort or it's where we find strength from when something is not moderated it becomes an idol to us and so he continues on in, in, uh, in Ecclesiastes 5.19 he says this he says for also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil this is the gift of God so he even says, he says, the riches, the possessions, everything you have is literally a gift from God. But it's a fine line within our lives that these beautiful gifts can easily become damaging distractions. That our money, that our comfort, that all these things that we have, that the, 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 the resources we're able to tap into within our lives, the food, the drink, whatever it might be, that these beautiful gifts can easily keep us from moving forward in God and become damaging distractions that imprison us, that we become dependent on. You know, 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. You know, we begin to take more pride in the life that we live here rather than in the, the, the love and the mercy and grace of God. We begin to indulge in the flesh and the desires of the eyes. He says, this is not from God. God has not intended for us to be so invested in what we see horizontally that we lose focus on our vertical relationship. We can be so focused on our, ver our horizontal interactions, our hor horizontal experience, that we completely detach from the vertical life that God's called us to, to a higher calling, to a mindset that thinks higher, that loves higher, that looks higher. Not to be disconnected from what's around us, but not be, to be dependent or distracted by what's around us. Listen, and it's not even just in our day-to-day -day life. This can happen in churches where we can get so distracted by the horizontal that we completely detach from the vertical, from what God's got for us, what God has for us. 1 Timothy 6.17, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He says, But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He says, man, don't put your dependence or indulgence on the empty things of this world. You know, and, and so when we think about self-control, you know, I hope we're getting in this mindset where we start to think about things we either spend a lot of time doing, things we spend a lot of times taking into our bodies, or things we spend a lot of times watching or thinking because all of these things, in a way, can be indulgences that become distractions for us and that can be destructive for us. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He says, what a man does when he has taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. You know, when the floodgates are open, 
when we've started to move away from God and we just allow ourselves to indulge in all the things around us, that's the best representation of who we are by nature. You know? And the, the, the danger in lacking self-control is when it, when, when it comes to what we have the opportunity to partake in in our lives. You know, this opportunity that we have in our day-to-day. -day. I mean, 1 Corinthians 10.23, it says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. He says, listen, there, there is a lot of things that we have the opportunity to do, but it doesn't mean that those things are good for us. It doesn't mean that those things build us up. It doesn't mean those things are healthy for us. You know, and so when we think about it, if they're not moderated, they modify us. When we talk about what we eat, you know, or what we take in, food or drink or entertainment, you know, all of those things can be done moderately. We can eat moderately. We can drink moderately. We can take in entertainment moderately. Entertainment is not a bad thing. But when we indulge in those things beyond and superseding what we indulge in God, then we begin to be modified by those things. Those things begin to affect us. Those things begin to control us. Those things begin to show us and make us convince us that they are more valuable to us than God is. That they are more important to us. They define us more than God does. And so then we begin to find comfort. We begin to find purpose in what we take in, in food, in drink, in entertainment. You know, and then we think about what we think. Even moderating our emotions. You know, are we living our lives in constant state of resentment? Living our lives in un, uh, un, unhinged or unmoderated states of bitterness or self-pity or anger. These things can be revelations of self-control issues. If we're not moderating our emotions, those things can modify us. They can change us. They can become idolatry to us where we're bitter and angry and self-pitying ourselves constantly. Then also how we act. You know, unmoderated activity, you know, becoming lazy, refusing to rest when we need to take time off. You know, the, both ends of those spectrums, unmoderated, can become damaging distractions for us. And so, to kind of bring it down to earth and make it a little more practical, what, what we're talking about, I believe, and when we talk about the danger of indulgence or unmoderated activity or in, uh, intake in our lives, is we're talking about kind of three elements of daily moderation. These three elements that any time we enter into a space where these three elements are present, it's not a good day for us. And those three elements are this. Desire, opportunity, and temptation. Desire or temptation... Or opportunity within itself is not wrong. You know, we have sinful desires. But those sinful desires aren't sinful until we act on those things, right? Well, the only way we act on those things is when we are engaged in the temptation of those things. And the only way we can engage in the temptation of those things is if the opportunity to engage in those things is there. So, moderating desire, opportunity, and temptation is the only way we stay away from sin. We stay away from destructive things. We stay away from things that draw us away from God. You know, we can have desire, but if the opportunity is not there, then the sin won't be there. The overindulgence won't be there. But if we enter in a space where desire and opportunity and temptation are present, that's the day we lose. That's the day we fall to sin. That's the day that our life begins to change. That's the, the day when we lose track 
of ourselves. We've, we've lost complete control and sin takes over. Now, it doesn't mean there's not redemption and restoration from that, but that's a day that ripples. That's a day that changes things. Man, God has invited us to not experience life in that capacity because He has better for us. That if we can modify our desire, bring moderation with our desires, our opportunity, our temptation, He tells us if we can keep those things from each other but by our active participation, you know, how do we avoid that day when those three things enter into the same space together is that we see where our weaknesses are and that we begin stepping in the direction that our indulgence is called to be. When we talk about true indulgence, indulgence for our benefit, not indulgence for our hurt. And so the second thing this morning would be this, that the direction of our indulgence would be towards God. And that's what Solomon invites us into in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says this. As he's wrapping, this is the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. As he's wrapping everything up, he says this. He says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. He says, everything, everything that's vanity, everything that's meaningless, it's made right here. It's moderated and modified here. He says this. He says, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Because it's in the indulgence of God that we gain the power for self-control. Not to, and I, I want you to hear, there's always this like fine line that we navigate when we're calling us to actively participate and act within a context of something that God's invited us into. Because I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not talking about acting or being or doing better to gain something. You know, religion tells us, says to become by self-effort what you aren't. Become by self-effort what you aren't. Christianity says become by grace what you are. So when we put our faith in Jesus, what we are are children of God that are saved by His grace. So what, what religion tells us is become by self-effort what you aren't. Try to become a child of God by self-effort. Try to do by self-effort to be in God's good graces. But what Christianity says is become by grace what you already are. Live in the context and in the grace and the mercy of His, of His Spirit as you are now. You're not trying to gain that status. You are that status. And so now we live from that point. We actively participate in this life that He's invited us into and we do that by moderating the things that we grab a hold of. The reality for most of us is, is we have to stop playing the victim and stop being the victor in the way that we live out these things in our life. These sinful things, these indulgences that we give ourselves over to. These things that we become dependent on, these things that we, we, we partake in to may help us relax or to give us purpose or to make us happy or whatever it might be. I mean, and this, the, the, the gamut of what these things are is endless. Food, drink, entertainment, whatever it might be. Certain emotions that we cling on to. He tells us, you know, become, I love this idea, to become by grace what you are. Not exterior modification, behavior modification. A changed heart. You know, we never hear God's command separate from the work of Jesus in us. So when God calls us to self-control, when the Bible tells us about this idea of moderation and how we take in things, engage things in our life, or, or act out in our life, these things are not detached from the active work of God in us to do that. There is a part that we play, but it's not just us on our own. 
You know, we sometimes think to ourselves, there's no way I can let this go. There's no way that I could ever, I could ever not be connected to this thing. But God tells us, listen, it's just a matter of taking those three things, opportunity, temptation, and desire, and separating them. One piece at a time. One little bit at a time. And then over time, that thing becomes less and less beneficial to us. Less and less desirable to us. And it's through the work of God in our life. True self-control is not about bringing ourselves under our own control, but under the power of Christ. The direction God has called our indulgence to is to indulge in Him. That if we're going to indulge in something unmoderated, let it be God. Let Him be that open door that we leave open. Let Him be the one that we say, listen, there's no bouncer here, God, you come in. Every space, every ounce, every, every nook and cranny of my life, every dark space that I walk into, God, you be present there. And let me stop shutting doors behind me and saying, God, you stay out there as I kind of walk into this space, God. I'm going to kind of indulge in this space and you stay here. Let's start slinging those doors open and saying, God, I need you in this space because I can't control it. I can't modify, I can't bring moderation into this, God. I'm just indulging in it. I'm too weak not to. And God, begin to help me in this space so that I can start to make conscious decisions to eliminate desire, to eliminate opportunity, to eliminate temptations in ways that I need to, to stop indulging and stop, start moderating these things. Galatians 5, 22-23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. He says, this is what you want all of. There is no law. There is no restriction. It's like you get all of this. And one of those things is self-control, moderation. He says, you get all of this. Acts 13, 39, it says, By Him, everyone, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Psalm 23, 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want that He has everything that I need. He has every desire that I have. He has every opportunity that I truly need. Matthew 4, 4, it says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, we have got to stop selling ourselves short on bread and start living by the word of God, by living by what he has given us that comes from the bread, that comes from the mouth of God. We have to stop selling ourselves short. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that the one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Church, this isn't a means to modify our behavior. This is a means to act from a place of things that have already been done on our behalf. Jesus, He says He has died and He was raised for us. And that from that, we have a beacon, we have a rally point that shows us everything we need. That if we want to indulge in something, enjoy the best that this life has to give to us, we do that through God. We do that through Jesus and our relationship and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit leading us into the rest of life. Our riches, our wealth, our possessions, whatever opportunities we have, these things aren't bad things, but these things can become bad things if they're not moderated. 
if they're not self-controlled, if we don't cut them off at a point, they say, no, 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 this is getting dangerously close to becoming more important to me than Jesus is. This is becoming dangerously close to being the thing that defines me. This is becoming dangerously close to the thing that helps with my anxiety, that helps with my fear, that helps with my purpose. This is becoming dangerously close to becoming that thing to me. And what God calls us to is He says, no, 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 no. Let's let God fill that void. Let's let God be that place at which you indulge to find those comforts, to find that opportunity, to find that direction. And then I love this in 1 Kings, that we would understand this 1 Kings 8, 57 through 58. The writer says, For the Lord our God be with us, as He was with our fathers. May He not leave us or forsake us, that He may incline our hearts to Him. Isn't that amazing? That God, in all that He's done, not only does He provide us a way, but He, he even draws us in actively. This morning, day to day, God is leaning into our lives, actively drawing us towards Himself. I mean, the Bible says that man within themselves does not want God. And so if we have any ounce of a desire for God, you know what that shows us and shows you? Is that God is actively drawing you into Himself. In all your sin, in all your weakness, in all your failure, you're here this morning because God is actively drawing you into Himself. He is inclining your heart to Him. He says, and continues on in the verse, to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His rules, which He commanded our fathers. He says, He is drawing us into Himself and He is going to be that active force that helps us walk in self-control and moderation. He is the one that's going to help us have the strength to say, no, I don't want any more of that. I don't want to watch any more of that. I don't want to take in any more of that. Having that point at which we can cut off. And it's part of what we do and our participation in this. You know, I love this idea. You know, when we think about the Hebrews, when they were traveling to the promised land, that it wasn't day one they started to head there and day two they got there. But they took towards the promised land one town at a time. That they got to the place of promise by God's leading, God's provision, one town, one nation at a time. And so I truly believe for us, we are promised the gift of self-control. We are promised the gift of God's grace and mercy in our life and His, and His direction and giving for us. But we also must take it by force. We must take it by actively participating, actively engaging in this idea in our life to moderate these things that we're letting in that are actively distracting us from God and our time with God and our in engagement with God. You know, but it's one city at a time that we're moving towards that promise, just like the children of Israel moving towards the promised land. Listen, there are going to be Red Seas to cross. There are going to be wildernesses to wander through. There are going to be Jordan Rivers to cross. There are going to be Jerichos that the walls need to come down at which for us to continue to move towards the place we have. There are going to be obstacles in this journey of life. But the important thing is that we continue to persist. We continue to move forward. We continue to indulge in Him to help moderate the other indulgences in our life, giving us that power of self-control to continue to move towards the promise that He has for us. Romans 6, 12 through 13, and I'll end with this. 
Paul invites us into that active participation when he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. He says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That we actively are called to participate in letting not to not do something, to push something away, to not actively allow these certain things to modify us and to move us into certain spaces of life, but for us to present ourselves to God, to actively engage in this space with God in our lives. Because remember what we said in the beginning, moderation is our protection from idolatry, and the things that aren't moderated by us begin to modify us. They begin to change us. And what that begins to do is it begins to rob us of the experience of the Christian life that God has called us to. Not that it's always perfect, not that it's, it's health, wealth, and prosperity, but no matter the Red Sea we have to cross, no matter the wilderness we have to wander, we're still moving towards a promise that there's still hope beyond the space where we're at. And that's only found in Jesus. Church, God invites us into moderation, not to withhold, but to introduce to something greater. When we aren't living in moderation, when we lack self-control in certain areas of our lives, what it does is it indicates to us certain places that we have not allowed God to be. Because for a lot of us, I believe there's sin that we're trying to kill off. There's things that we're trying to get rid of. But we just can't kill that sin. We're not strong enough to do it on our own. What God has called us to is He wants our motive to be driven by more than just doing things right, but to be giving ourselves to Him. And when God is our goal, what flows from that is the killing of sin, is the elimination of distraction, is the elimination of temptation, is the change of our desires to be more focused on what He has for us and not for ourselves. Church, I pray that we could, be, we could be honest with ourselves even this morning. What are some places that I need to implement moderation, self-control? What are some things that I spend most of my time doing that are distracting me from God? What are things that I'm taking into my life that maybe in the, within themselves in moderation isn't bad, but in the indulgence is causing me not to be sober-minded. It's causing me to be more dependent on something else. It's causing me to find comfort or rest or, 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 or assistance for my anxieties or fears and doubts and other things other than indulging in God and His promises. What are these areas, these dark spaces of our life that we have closed the door on God and said, God, I, I don't want you to be in this. I don't want you to be involved in this, knowing that He knows anyway. And not all He does, all of what He can do in our lives, if we would just say, God, please come into this. God, please forgive me for this. God, please forgive me where I've been distracted. Please forgive me where I have not moderated this particular thing in my life that has controlled me and that has modified me in my thoughts, in my actions, in my life. We find that guidance through indulging in Jesus. And like we said, it's a day-to-day -day journey conquer one city at a time as we move towards the land of promise. And I pray that we could, if we haven't already, start that today or to begin to live in that capacity. Church, let us pray this morning. Father God, I just thank you for today. God, I thank you for the guidance that you give us as we engage in the moderation and the self-control that you empower us to do. 
God, we within ourselves, God, even as we've sung, sang about this morning that I may be weak, but Lord, your spirit is strong in me that even though our flesh may and will fail, God, you never will. But Lord, I th I'm so thankful that in the process of them moving towards the promised land that there was time and time and time again where they failed you. But you continued to provide ways for them to continue towards that promise. That it didn't matter the Red Sea. It didn't matter the wilderness. It didn't matter the hunger. It didn't matter the doubt. It didn't matter the Jordan River. It didn't matter the Jericho that stood before them, God. That you continued to provide a way. And so, Father God, I pray this morning that we would, we would begin to indulge in you in a way that maybe we have never done before. God, I pray that we would begin to depend on you in a way that we have never done before and begin to take it one nation, one city, one area at, at a time, being patient with ourselves and persistently seeking after you. And most of all, God, most of all, that we would be putting our faith in you, your faith, our faith in, in your work on the cross, asking for forgiveness for our sins, repenting and turning our backs on those things that actively draw us away and begin to allow you to take our opportunity, our temptations and our desires and begin to line those things up with you. Father God, I'm, I'm just thankful for you. I'm thankful for your word and I'm thankful for this time that we get to spend together today. God, I pray your blessings over us and God, I just pray that you would just do, continue to do an act of work in our church and in our ministry, Lord. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.